Hello, and welcome to Spotlight on the Faith. I'm Deacon Tim Criswell, your host, and we're here to focus on the gifts and talents the people of Western New York bring to their ministry. Our guests today are Dr. Stephen J. Lachlan, who is the president and professor of philosophy at St. Bernard's School of Theology and Ministry in Rochester, New York. Dr. Lachlan earned his master's and doctorate in philosophy at the University of Toronto. We also welcome Dr. Matthew Cooner, who is the Vice President, Academic Dean, and Assistant Professor of Systematic Theology at St. Bernard's School. Dr. Cooner earned his Master's in Theological Studies at the Pontifical John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and the Family in Washington, D.C., and completed his Ph.D. in Systematic Theology at Ave Maria University in Southwest Florida. And we're here today to discuss St. Bernard's School of Theology and Ministry, as well as get to know them both from a personal side of life. What are their interests? Who are they? So I welcome Dr. Lachlan. Hello. And Dr. Cooner. Greetings. So I guess I'd like to throw my first question at you. Tell me a little bit about the school itself, and maybe even how you came to it, and what's your driving mission? I'll go first. All right. Well, the school is a graduate school of theology and ministry, and we take both of those terms quite seriously. Theologically, we hope to represent the very best of the Catholic philosophical and theological traditions, drawing upon all manner of great writers and thinkers throughout the centuries. But not only that, we seek out here the means whereby we can actually take this intellectual, theological, philosophical heritage and uh, show practical ways by which this might be manifested, not only in our own personal lives, but the ministries that which we serve. And uh, this school has been around for a very, very long time, beginning as a seminary in 1893 continuing on until the 60s, the 70s, when it was repurposed as a graduate theological school. And then uh, in 2003, opening up in the present situation that we have on uh, 120 French Road in Rochester, New York. A beautiful building. For any of you who would love to come and visit, just show up. I mean, (laughs) uh, that would be wonderful. Don't even give us any notice. Just show up. Okay. Hey, I'm here. I want to have a look at things. Okay. But uh, basically, uh, that's the sort of thing that uh, we are. Matthew, did you want to throw in something there? No, that's so beautiful. And in terms of what we do, kind of what makes us unique, I think it's so lovely to highlight that theology and ministry piece, right? We're not just there to study theology in a vacuum or an ivory tower. We're there to actually study theology in the context of the ministerial needs of the church. And to that extent, one of the things that we say very frequently is that St. Bernard's is not simply about education in the sense that you might find it in the world typically, but we're about education in the context of formation, right? Because the encounter with God is kind of what we're after, and that's why we exist. That's what drives us. And that encounter with God, be it primarily through the classroom and the texts, it's going to change you, especially theologically, philosophically. It ought to change every fiber of your being. And so to that extent, when you come to St. Bernard's, it's not just an intellectual exercise. It's a sort of life event, right, that will form you in ways that 
very frequently are unexpected. So that's, that's quite lovely. And then the only thing I'd love to add about the history is that Bishop Fulton Sheen was Bishop of the Diocese of Rochester from 1966 to 1969. And so many aspects of the life of St. Bernard's as a school were kind of put into play by him. The fact that we serve the laity so prominently, but we also do formation for those studying for the permanent diaconate and for the priesthood. The fact that we do those two things together, that was something that he really wanted to do. And then also he was a champion of the permanent diaconate. The first permanent deacon was ordained in the Diocese of Rochester across the whole United States, I think in 1969. And so St. Bernard's has been really, really focusing on permanent diaconate formation, and we're so blessed to assist with that for the Diocese of Buffalo. So yeah, so Bishop Fulton Sheen, we have a number of his artifacts and things at our school. So when you come and visit and just walk in, you can see, for example, a pectoral cross of his, a few other items. So so it's quite a gift to sort of live in the uh, the shadow of that legacy. It's quite a gift. Indeed. And uh, just to piggyback on that, the kind of education that we seek to pursue is one that not only addresses the mind, addresses the heart, addresses the entirety of our humanity. It's a mark of our Christianity that we look at the entirety of the human person as being made to the image and likeness of God. And so consequently, uh, we engage, as we often say, in a kneeling theology, okay, a theology here that would be incomplete if we just simply looked at the mind uh, and understanding of these things as such. No, that's that's only part of the story. I often say that the way by which one's love is formed is by actually coming to know the things that give rise to that love, okay? So I often say, how could I love my wife unless I actually knew her, okay? And um, it's the same here with regard to our theology. It's the same with regard to our God. The greater that we understand the things of God, the more that we are drawn into the love that he is. And so, uh, you know, we would think ourselves as you know, engaging in a great disservice if we didn't aspire in what we did or what we do to address the entirety of our persons, okay? And so we always make that effort to try to incarnate in our practice as professors, as Christians, all that is best about the Catholic faith. And in so doing, well, you know, to revivify, to incarnate the very uh, primal desire, the primal good that has always been at the heart of our faith. And uh, by doing that, to make it you know, something that's inherently desirable and just draws you in very much so. To the extent that we do that, I think we succeed. Uh, graduate schools are a dime a dozen. All right. But when you get the whole picture, when you get the whole emphasis here upon the entirety of our humanity and to show how it is that we might not just form you but also send you out into the world, but then also to remain a constant presence, a community that will always help you, okay? In a lot of ways, it's like an extension of a family. I find one of the greatest benefits that my diaconate candidates encounter is having an advisor and that advisor really touches not just on the academic, but the human, the spiritual, and the pastoral pillars of formation. And they really help them kind of look at it and see how the academic affects all four, not just one singular pillar. And I think the men have seen a growth in themselves when they're able to touch on that, and it becomes a journey, and they're not just taking classes. And I think that's one of the greatest benefits for the men. Yeah, that's amazing. And Pope Francis speaks so frequently of accompaniment. 
And accompaniment can take place in a parish context, in a friendship context, right, in a familial context, an evangelization context. It can also take place in the context of a school like ours. And I think that's exactly what advising is meant to sort of provide is a bit of intensive accompaniment because people usually come and study with us over the course of multiple years, multiple semesters. And that's perhaps the greatest honor is we're not an enormous school. And so it does have that kind of family feel. And you get to know your advisees as a faculty member and as a student, you get to know your advisor really, really well to the extent that you actually enjoy being with them, God willing, (laughs) even after graduation. And you'll come back and you'll sort of greet them. And there's there's a sort of bond forged there unlike many others in life outside of familial relationships and, and sort of your best of friends. So, and that's something that we open up to everybody, not just permanent diaconate candidates, but also lay students that come and study with us. They also receive an advisor in this sense, and they're able to kind of press into that accompaniment to the degree that they desire. It's quite something, yeah. Yeah, one of the greatest compliments I've received from advisors is to hear that when a student is graduating, they actually come to me and say, I'm really going to miss that guy. We've created such a good bond and a nice relationship. And I think that's what it's about. It's about relationship, not just about learning and educating. And at the very heart of that, okay, is the desire that once you've found a community, the desire to remain with that community, to grow in relationship to it, to try to see the education that we offer, not just simply something that occurs over a three or four or five-year period, all right, but to be able to extend that into the entirety of one's life. This is a, a great gift that we, well, any graduate school should try to offer its people. And, you know, you try to do that through alumni associations, but, you know, we've never been quite satisfied with that, all right? And so we've put into place a number of different programs that draws people, well, not draws them into the community, but continues to uh, allow them to abide within the community. And so we not only have a free summer audit, wherein we allow people to audit any one of our courses for free during that time. But then we also have available to our graduates the ability here to take advantage of uh, one course per year, okay, and to be able to take that for free. And so, you know, in that way, you get the opportunity here to remain within that community, to be able to join with those who are coming up and to meet old people that you've been with, with before. You know, And so this and many other ways uh, are the ways by which we try to, well, not only honor those who have come and studied with us, but also to, frankly, you know, give thanks to God for the great gifts that he has given us and to be able to share this in any way, shape, or form with the wider community. You talk about the audit, the free audit classes in the summertime once a year, and I'd like to kind of turn it towards... What else do you offer? We always promote a lot to the diaconate because a Master of Arts and Pastoral Studies, because that's what the the men going through formation study for. But you offer so much more, and even certificate classes for people who just want to enrich their faith or, at a different level, become a catechist or participate in their church. Tell me a little bit about those programs. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing about St. Bernard's. If we're really going to be an effective school of theology and ministry— We can't simply offer graduate degrees, right? The percentage of the population who will be interested in taking the time and the investment in a graduate degree, a master's degree, is going to be proportionately pretty small, but we believe that everybody should have access to the riches of the tradition in terms of the the formation that's available in that way. And so one of the things that's been characteristic of St. Bernard's over its entire history, particularly since Sheen 
in the late 60s, but I would say probably throughout the whole duration, has been this multi-tiered programmatic offering sort of setup, where we want to make sure that there's something there. Absolutely, we have excellent, excellent master's degrees. But we also want a program that's accessible to people coming right from the pews, so to speak, people without any additional formation, but who maybe are looking for something a little bit more than just watching Bishop Barron YouTube videos or, or you know, whatever it might be, or reading books on their own. Coming into a community, studying together with a professor, sure, that's sort of guiding uh, the conversation and the formation. But something that's live, that's a really key thing of everything that we do is that it's live. It's not something that's going to be canned unless you need it to be for your scheduling reasons. But it's something that's going to be live. It's something that's going to be proportionately challenging for where you are. But it's also going to bear immense gift in your life throughout the years to come. So one of the things that we offer uh, is the certificate in evangelization. And that certificate, again, is for anyone. There's no prerequisite in terms of education. There's no prerequisite in terms of, you know, reading lists or, or prior education. And you can come into this. It's, it's a beautiful kind of curriculum. It spans everything from evangelization to some moral theology, some morals discourse, to spirituality and a little bit of philosophy as well, but all in a very, very evangelical context. We partner with the St. John Society, a wonderful religious order out of the West Coast. Coast, as well as Washington, D.C., founded in Argentina. And they are just absolutely, their whole thing is the new evangelization. So they are absolutely ordered towards this. And we just graduated our first cohort of 27 graduates, many of whom are going into formal ministry positions, right, either at the diocesan level, at the parish level. But also many of them are just going to carry on their life as a retired person or as a parishioner. You know, there's sort of no necessary use of this degree in any kind of way. But to a person, each of these people have said that it's a life-changing experience. Not so much only to sort of read whatever books are assigned or to go through the different lectures, but to have the discussion in the community formed. Because that's one of the key things is you're not only going to live lectures and the sort of questions and answers and seminar style that that can create, but you're also going to be in discussion groups within the certificate and evangelization. So you'll get to know people over the six courses that you take that make up the certificate. You'll get to know a group of people really intimately, and that's really important. Like Deacon Tim was just saying, it's about the relationships because those things will carry on and you'll be able to sort of refresh one another in the faith as time goes on. So yes, I would say the certificate in evangelization, it's also extremely, extremely affordable. So that's a huge piece of it as well. But we welcome anyone into this program who just wants to take that next step and who's willing to sort of enter into a community in this way, a community of learning, of formation, and of friendship with others. It's, it's quite a beautiful experience. Mm -hmm. I was talking with a board member yesterday, and uh, I was voicing my concern that perhaps we're not pastoral enough. And uh, she greatly disagreed with me, but it was interesting the way in which she disagreed. She began by saying that amongst her friends, there are many, many people who are in search of a spiritual advisor. But given the fact that there are not many out there who can do this or who feel confident in this, that uh, many people are left bereft of this sort of guidance. And it was of her opinion, and uh, it's quite right, and she has a very good native sense about these things. It was of her opinion that with regard to spiritual direction, the most effective way by which one can not only train people to do this, but also to engage upon this yourself through you know, self-reflection, 
was to simply by understanding the very things that these courses, whether it be simply through the master's degrees that we offer, but right the way down to and including all the different certificates, that by a simple engagement in the theological heritage, this gives one the insight that one thirsts for. Okay, as well as okay, the opportunity here to commune with others, and as you know, in that community, to be able to discuss, to discern, to be able to address the very desires that one has, to which one assigns the title of spiritual direction. You begin to find out that spiritual direction is not just simply sitting with another who is uh, aged and wise, but to actually sit with the whole theological, philosophical heritage as we present them in these courses and to be able to engage in that tradition and in so doing, to be able to replicate what people have done for thousands of years, namely through prayer meditation, to draw upon this heritage, to know much better the very things for which the faith stands, and uh, to be able then to fall in love further and deeper and more extensively. Uh, Along those lines, for those that are maybe thinking about trying out a graduate course formally that would be maybe on the way towards a master's degree, we also have what we call graduate certificates, which are a sort of a, a gathering of five or six graduate courses that are thematically united. So we have a graduate certificate in Catholic bioethics. We have a graduate certificate in Catholic philosophy. Coming up, we're going to be launching a general theological certificate that will be available, a sort of gathering of, of a few graduate courses. And the beautiful thing about that is that you don't have to sort of dive right into a massive degree program and say, I'm going to commit two, three, four years to this or whatever. You can just try out these five classes, see how you like it. And the thing that we try to do with all of our programs is that each one of them, we don't really want to offer much aside from events and things like that, that are not granting graduate credit. So even that certificate in evangelization, you are going to get six credits at the end of that certificate towards a graduate degree eventually if you wish to use it. Same thing with the graduate certificates. That's 15 or 18 credits that you could use towards a graduate degree. So none of your educational experiences are in some sense not going to give you that credit that you might eventually be able to use for a degree program or a higher certificate. So if that makes sense, I mean, that's that's just sort of what we want to do. We want to honor your time and we have such confidence in our offerings that they are worthy of that graduate credit. And that's something that won't necessarily expire in a way, right? I mean, it'll be something that carries with you. So even if you complete a certificate in evangelization and then five years from now want to consider a master's degree, you're going to have those credits at your back and you're going to be able to leverage them towards a master's degree. So that's our way of sort of scaling things up a little bit and really honoring the time and the investment that you've made in a program at St. Bernard's. I think that's also a great way for students to ease their way into learning, because often you may have a student who comes in who's been away from school 10, 15, 20 years. And I know with my guys who come into the diaconate formation, they're just afraid to start taking classes. It's, I haven't read a book like this and had to write a paper in a million years. And so there's that fear factor that sets in. And once they get through one class, they're like, oh, this isn't so bad. I can do this, you know, and and so that another way, another option is to kind of ease your way into it. Take those as classes and then you can turn them into, you know, use them as credits towards a a master's program later on, which I think is a a great benefit for people and and encourage them to move forward. 
Indeed, this is something we see all the time as instructors. The fact that, um, as you say, Deacon Tim, we get people who have not been in school for 10, 15, 20 years, and they're just terrified that they're going to be held to some level of study, of, uh, of writing, that they will not be able to aspire to that. But to recognize here, first of all, on the part of the professors who teach for us, that we know that we're going to get people like this. And that in the way by which we present the material, okay, we do it in such a way that while not compromising the integrity of the material nor the very demands that a master's level of study requires of you, we still find beautiful ways by which to introduce people into this sort of study. And it's almost seductive in a good way, of course. And that as you draw people into this, they begin to become far more confident and to realize that they do have a native talent, okay? A native talent that draws upon not just, you know, the things that they've learned before, but also the very fact that this material is such that it draws you out, it completes you, and it reveals things to you that you never suspected before, okay? And as such, draws you into the very heart, uh, not only of the church, but also to the very uh, traditions uh, at its heart that will allow people to, um, well, again, as I always say, to know, to love our Lord better in all that you do. I'd like to shift gears a little bit, and I want people to get to know the both of you a little bit more on a a personal side. You know, what is your interest? What do you do on your free time, other than always reading? (laughs) Being a nerd. Being a nerd, yeah. yeah. Beyond the nerd side, what's the brighter side of you guys? (laughs) The brighter side. (laughs) The the human side of you. We're going to enter the human dimension of yourselves. And tell me about what do you do on your free time? I hear that the both of you do like to play instruments. And and, and I know, Dr. Lachlan, there's a place I have to take you for records, because you have a collection that's larger than people Rather could extensive. imagine. Extensive, yes. extensive. It's an extensive collection. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm a musician of old. Uh, before I did this gig, uh, I was a professional bass player, okay, both classical and jazz. Touch of arthritis sidelined that career. Uh, I could have continued playing. However, it was the case that uh, if I had continued to practice the amount of time that's required in order to do anything within my profession, I basically would have lost the use of my hands by age 40. And so I wasn't one of those guys who, oddly enough, even though I'm a philosopher by training, um, I wasn't one of those guys who thought that the completion of life was just simply something found in the head, okay, that it had to involve the entirety of one's humanity. And so I just couldn't see myself being a theoretician of music. And so um, I just gave it up, all right? And uh, when I gave it up, it was, I often describe it as like someone dying in the family, you know, someone that had been with you for so long and was much loved. But then putting that aside gave the opportunity for God to work in my life. And uh, through my spiritual advisor at the time, Father Kieran Kennedy, what a great name, eh? Father Kieran Kennedy. <laughs> he advised me just to uh, take some philosophy at the local Catholic college. And my response was, philosophy, what's that? Okay. I took it and I was hooked within about 20 minutes. And so by training, I'm a professional philosopher. Uh, I've enjoyed reading and delving into that discipline itself. My spare time, I really don't have an awful lot of 
spare time. If I have spare time, I'm thinking of faculty handbooks or reports that I have to write for the Lilly Foundation and other such things. In those rare moments when I do have some free time, I do greatly enjoy or continue to enjoy music itself. As you say, Tim, a very extensive collection of uh, what well, you youngins call it vinyl. We used to call it records back in the day. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll refer to the records. I'm familiar with records. <laughs> uh, there's that. And uh, then, of course, just simply um, a, a lot of house repair. Uh, even though I'm a philosopher and a scholar by trade, nevertheless, I can fix things with my hands. And I do a fairly decent job of it. All right. Although lately, given the fact that I don't have as much free time as I would like to, I'm hiring out more and more jobs. And I just feel so guilty seeing those guys up there replacing a fascia board on my house and saying to myself, I should be up there doing that <laughs> in any event. Yeah. So my, uh, my desires, my, uh, my, the playing out of my spare time is very, <laughs> well, how should I say humble? All right. I hate to say it, but I've given over the entirety of my life to what I do. And uh, any leisure time that I have is for the sake of recharging so that I can get right back at it. I've always been one of those guys, you know, you, you hear this quite often. It's it's a trope. But, uh, you know, uh, work so that you never feel that you've worked a day in your life. Okay. Do something that occupies you completely. And that's been for me. I mean, there's nothing I enjoy more than just simply being in front of a group of people and teaching. I mean, for me, that's just heaven. Yeah. And you've seen it, Matthew. You, you see what happens to me when I get going. <laughs> <laughs> Completely. Oh, my goodness. No, and that's a story I just read this about because one of our summer courses right now is a course on the life and legacy of Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI. And all the, the St. Bernard's faculty are teaching this, co-teaching it. And I was responsible for doing a little of the biography and history. And they told a similar story about young Joseph Ratzinger, who was probably on the more introverted side rather than the extroverted side, except when he went into the classroom to teach or when he was explaining something of import or existential meaning, right, these sort of meaning questions, he would come alive and you would never know that he was an introvert. So, yeah, yeah, something something takes possession of you, you know, the muse, whatever it is. It's quite beautiful. And I can attest to the fact that you actually can fix things, too. It's quite impressive. I've never seen you hurt yourself. Most philosophers with a hammer, you, like, run the other way, right? Forget this. Like, someone's going to end up in the hospital, right? So. <laughs> But it is true. One of the characteristics that I love about being at St. Bernard's personally is that for most of us, this is like a dream job. And we go in every day and just feel so gratified that we can do what we love, you know, not only in the sense of the teaching, perhaps, but also just attempting to be a Christian community in service of the church at a time of crisis, right? Because we're all trying to, I think, in the church, maybe re-envision what Christian community looks like, re-envision what formation looks like, what does the church need today, right? Post so many of the crises, be it of demographics, the sex abuse crisis, so on and so forth, pastoral planning, decision-making, that's happening all over the Northeast. You know, so in that sense, it's a real gift to be alive right now and to be in the church, sort of trying to dwell with these 
these things. So yeah, and it can be, as anyone who works in ministry knows, it can be all-consuming, <laughs> sometimes in a bad way, sometimes in a good way, you know. But maybe more to the point, I've also abandoned pretty much all hobbies, but mostly because I have two young children, Catherine and John. That'll uh, do it. Seven and three. <laughs> so that, exactly, that's very effective beyond the sort of ministry component. I also have a background in music, so I saw in the recording studio here, there's an electronic drum set, and that brought me way back to the years of me playing drums for many years. So Dr. Lachlan and I have rocked out together, which is phenomenal. Funk is our specialty. We can do this. So so there's been some talk at some point of maybe performing here in the recording studio, but we'll see if that comes to pass at some point. Oh, it will. <laughs> it will. It will. <laughs> so that's so much fun. And we did, I want to say, a couple years ago. So this was during covid The COVID years at St. Bernard's, we were all pretty restless because we couldn't have a lot of in-person classes, which we just love doing. And we couldn't do, we do an Advent liturgy and celebration every year. And we couldn't do it. And we were heartbroken about it. So what we did was we brought in all of our Zoom mics into room C, which is one of our smaller classrooms, one of the most soundproof, like the best audio, right? And I brought in my drum set. We had the piano from the chapel that we have on campus. And you brought your electronic bass, right, your electric bass, and we just rocked out. And we did Christmas carols, and we allowed anyone to tune in from across the country from their own isolation or whatever. I forget exactly which year this was in COVID. But it was phenomenal. And there is a recording somewhere. I don't think Deacon Tim's ever seen it, but there yes, is a recording. Yes, I have. You have seen I it. I have okay. seen it, yes. <laughs> it's a strange thing. I think we called ourselves Doc Locke and the Catholic Workers. <laughs> Phenomenal. So that was like where all the worlds collide, you know, all of our interests and things. But and, you know, and I think I think something that we can take for granted being in upstate New York is just so much natural beauty around us. So that's something that I just absolutely love. I moved here from southwest Florida in 2017. And in Southwest Florida, you know, it's so humid down there. I'm not a big heat guy myself, having grown up in the Northeast, just north of Philadelphia. And so what I was shocked by was everyone talks about Florida like it's this amazing outdoor oasis. But really, most people just hide in their homes and in their AC for like three quarters of the year. Up here, yeah, sure, there's the winter, right, which can be imposing and a problem. But I love the way that people just turn it into a winter sporting season, you know. And so that's what I've been most interested in is using, you know, going for the winter hikes, getting the snowshoes, things like that, and really living like it's a four-season kind of enjoyment of the natural world. So that's that's most often what I'm doing and, and what I love to do when I'm not nerding out. I also love poetry and fiction. I think that's something else that like most people at St. Bernard's just love is we have this abiding interest with things that aren't um, maybe what some people would call as boring as philosophy or theology or whatever. <laughs> so that's, that's, which it's not boring at all, but, but we just love nonfiction and fiction and poetry. So Rilke is my absolute favorite. I would take a poem of Rilke any day and uh, chew on it. So we just got back from Oregon. We went out to the West Coast. And um, if you've ever been to Oregon and you're a nerd like we are, you know of Powell's Books, which is a used bookstore that takes up a whole city block, you know. So we came back. And we also went to record stores for Dr. Lachlan so that he could sort of enjoy records. So we got stopped at the airport on the way back because, Dr. Lachlan, you were holding your records in your hand so they wouldn't be crushed, right? But then also we had literal, like, books lining our suitcase. So I'm pretty sure the TSA agents thought that we were trying to slip something through by putting some kind of barrier around the contents of our suitcase or whatever. So, so they ripped open our suitcases and they were like, what is this? And we were like, oh, it's just books. We tried to fit as many as we could on our way home. So, yeah, but that's, that's us. Right. I mean, that's what we do when we travel. So, 
as you walked away, they're like, nerds. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They barely, like, even looked at us. They just, you know, go away. Yeah. Dismiss you. Dismissed. Dismissed. <laughs> uh, it's just great. Yeah. So tell me something about the back to the program and, and how far reaching are you? Because you, you're not just working with the Buffalo Diocese. You're not just working with Rochester, but you've expanded further than just your immediate home. And and how far? What's the far most far reaching country or that a person has taken a class from you, especially the audit classes? Because there's sometimes sixty plus people in one class on a Zoom class that are coming from all over the place. Yeah, we have what over a hundred in our course dedicated to um, uh, to Ratzinger, I yes. believe, and then also over a hundred in the course on the Song of Songs and mystical commentary in the Song of Songs. The response to that has been perhaps the most shocking. You know, well over a hundred in that class. Yeah. yeah, and I just taught a philosophy for theologians course, which had. Um, well, 40 auditors, of which a good 25 to 30 showed up on a regular basis. So I thought, this is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. As far as dioceses that we serve, I mean, we're basically serving almost the whole of upstate New York, okay, pretty soon to expand into other areas. But uh, I'm rather proud of the fact that uh, we serve Buffalo. It's a, it's a beautiful diocese. And as a Canadian, um, it's far more familiar to me. Okay, I grew up just in Hamilton, Ontario. So I don't know how many times I've been in Buffalo as a teenager. Used to come here to the auditorium to see Rush, you know, playing. <laughs> Not the Sabres, but Rush. Yes, no, right, right, right. <laughs> totally understandable. You know, with the, uh, so I'm old enough to remember the first expansion of the NHL. And so um, when you had the Sabres uh, come forth, uh, who was it? Punch Imlac at the time, okay, who was the first uh, general manager. And so he used to be in Toronto, and uh, we just loved Punch, you know, Punch Imlac. So I just thought, oh, I've got to have some kind of, you know, connection here with Buffalo, and I have to love this team, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Toronto Maple Leafs fan my entire life. But uh, no, I'm sorry, I, I diverge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm sorry you've been a Toronto Maple Leafs fan your whole life. <laughs> Everybody carries their cross. <laughs> you know, well, Toronto Maple Leaf fans are really unusual. It doesn't matter what the team is doing, they will fill that place every single night they play. Okay, they could be the very last place. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. We don't talk about that often. <laughs> but we serve upstate New York, and there's no segue for this. <laughs> I digress. Go Leafs. Go Leafs. Uh, we recently uh, expanded into uh, the Diocese of Allentown in Pennsylvania, and uh, we actively pursue any and every opportunity to be able to share the gifts uh, that we enjoy at St. Bernard's. Um, as far as the audit goes, that's the one that actually gives us the widest reach throughout you know, the whole of the world. So, Matthew, didn't we have somebody from the Ukraine this past while? Yeah, it was last summer, so the summer of 2022, when things were really intense in Ukraine, right? And um, it was so moving when we saw someone auditing from Kiev. And we realized, okay, this is really, really beautiful, giving people the opportunity because, you know, we have these live courses and we teach them in person in our classrooms, but the classrooms are outfitted in such a way that all those that are Zooming can be right there, right, as part of the class. And so exactly, we'll have up to 
you know, what, 70, 80, 90 people taking these classes via Zoom, some of them watching the recording, because obviously when you're thinking about the Ukraine, you're thinking about various places around the world, the time zones are really difficult to navigate. So people will be watching the recordings, which we absolutely encourage if you can't tune in live. That was a really moving experience last summer to welcome someone from the Ukraine. But then also, basically, we've had students from every continent more or less, come in. And our first year that we did this, it was actually during COVID that we launched it because we thought, you know, we're all sort of sequestered here. What can we offer of St. Bernard's uh, riches and gifts towards people that are isolated, towards people that are suffering? And this is what we came up with. Let's just allow people to come in for free, right? No holds barred, no hidden fees, whatever. We'll just invite people to come in. And that was a huge success. I think we had 100, 150 that first year. And this year, it's our, is it our third year doing it or fourth year? I forget. But we have over 600 people from around the world taking courses, which is really, really such a gift. And again, I can't wait to see. We usually do a map of both the United States and then also the world to show where auditors have come in from. And it's amazing. I mean, I think last summer we had uh, 30-something states, you know, so we're hoping to get someone from every state eventually, that, that sort of thing. But yeah, but it's the same with our students, right? Because beyond serving upstate New York, and, and here by students, I mean those that are matriculated into our programs, the certificate in evangelization, the graduate certificates, and then the master's degrees. We welcome lay students in particular who want to take a master's degree or any of these certificates from anywhere in the world, right? And particularly anywhere across the United States. So we have students from here to California. We have a student in Guam, in Guam yeah. right? So like there's just a lot, a lot going on there. And, and we have um, obviously from English speaking countries like the UK, you know, we're, we're constantly generating interest from them and trying to figure out how to deal with the time change, you know, and things like the, the different uh, time zone. So, so yeah, so it's, it's really, really an exciting thing to feel like you know someone so well in California. And it's beautiful that, you know, students will make a pilgrimage to come visit St. Bernard, see everyone in person, which is such a beautiful thing. And it's amazing because all of these different regions across the United States, they bring different gifts and different perspectives. So that's a beautiful thing. But then another amazing thing is that you realize that in terms of pastoral situations, crises of evangelization, crises of faith, there's such similarity, right? We are all bearing similar crosses around the country. And so part of what St. Bernard's becomes almost unintentionally, but through its sort of geographic expansion, is a place where people can come together, forge friendships, and actually carry their crosses together and to share different ideas and ministry. So it's amazing. I taught a course uh, this past spring on evangelization and catechesis. And so you have people from Pennsylvania, New York, California, Indiana, Illinois, all talking about parish models for evangelization and catechesis. And they're all talking about the pluses and minuses of family, VBS. I mean, you know, you name it. They're like, well, I tried this and this worked really well. Well, maybe that's because you're from an urban parish or maybe it's because you're suburban. So they're kind of like analyzing, okay, what do we share? What's different? And the, the points of similarity are just unbelievable. We kind of can operate in these silos and things. So there's something silo-busting about St. Bernard that's really helpful. And again, it's silo-busting not through like shouting at people or saying, you need to stop being so siloed, but through actual literal friendships being formed, right, through gathered events of communion. So, Yeah, I know that one of our students who just graduated this past spring took a trip to Israel with his wife uh, over, I think it was in January, and he'd been on many Zoom classes with different men from different dioceses, and there he was in Israel, and he ran into one of 
somebody from Albany, which is only three hours from us. But he said we had to go all the way to Albany to run into a classmate. And and he, he saw him and, and they were like, hey, I know you. Wait a minute. What do you look like on Zoom? And then they made the connection <laughs> that they're both yeah. on a trip at the same time. So it really is, is, is you know, you're, you're close, but yet you're far away. And there's so many connections that you make with people. And you can create those lifelong friendships, which I think is really important because there's so much, like you said, you, you bust those silos, you reach out to each other, and you, as much as you think, oh, we have these issues in Buffalo, Rochester, Albany, we're much more alike and similar to each other than we are different. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see, too, uh, how people, even older people like myself, take to the technology that allows for that so-called virtual community to exist and to thrive. Some people have mentioned, uh, so we have one t- We have one fellow in California who will speak with uh, the fellow in Guam, all right, by means of uh, the Zoom technology that we utilize. To be able to use that and to, well, get over that hump that always afflicts us of an older generation, namely to get over the hump here of the the preference that you have for in-person engagement and to, having done that, to make the very best use of that technology and to see that you can actually do an awful lot more with it than you at first thought you could and that you're not as compromised as you thought you would be. Again, I speak as a fellow from an older generation that give me a room full of people and I just love it, all right? But when I have my, my class on Zoom, you know, it's, it's very strange. I got some very strange habits, you know. When I make a point, I start to lean into the camera. So at one point, I mean, you'll, you'll see this huge nose coming at you. <laughs> Whereas in a classroom, it would be a far different kind of uh, approach. But I mean, besides that, I mean, I just got to be careful of my camera technique. But you know, <laughs> but beyond that, uh, I've been absolutely surprised at how effective the distance education technology that we have, how effective it's been. But also, too, not only the fact that we have a younger crowd who teaches by this technology and thus is, by fact of being younger, take to it more natively, but just the, uh, the efforts that we've put into refining this and trying to maintain as much of the human as is possible. Absolutely necessary. If you're engaging here in programs wherein uh, you're looking at formation, as you said earlier, rather than information. Okay, and encouraging the ways by which we can grow spiritually, humanly, pastorally, theologically. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. And I think the most important thing to learn about when you're on a Zoom call is if you have a shirt and tie on, don't stand up if you're wearing pajama pants. <laughs> Correct, Dr. Cooner. <laughs> we have all been through strange circumstances during COVID. And yes, certain people make mistakes. Yes. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just so funny, like, the stories that you have of Zoom. You know, people's cats walking across the computer. You know, I mean, different kids running around in the background doing funny things. My, I remember there were a few times where I was teaching from my basement during COVID. And all of a sudden, like, my wife Michelle starts vacuuming upstairs on the first floor. And she doesn't <laughs> know it, but it sounds like there's, like, a spaceship landing on the ceiling, you know, or something like that. I mean, it's amazing. And, you're, you know, all these different kind of things that you have to negotiate. So, so yeah, thanks be to God, our classroom situations are a little bit more in hand than the home situations, but it's still great to see what different people do. And then the other funny thing is when you meet in person after knowing someone on Zoom, you never know how tall they are, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, man. And, and depending on if the camera's angled up, they look really tall on Zoom. But then you might meet them, and they're like, oh, actually, yeah. 
<laughs> it's very funny. And then the other way as well. So, yeah, it's very so, funny. Yeah, it's but funny. it's great. But, yeah, using technology to the extent that we can, right, for the sake of evangelization, ministry, formation, it just is there. And we always prefer in person because that's the sort of church's prime vision for formation. Absolutely. But, you know, we'll, we'll do the next best thing with what we can. And the reality is that in the church, many of our institutional resources, at least in the north, you know, it's, it's sort of dwindling and it's becoming more compressed. And so we have to be stewards of what we have. And this is one way to do it, you know, to have the formation and the expertise that is gathered at St. Bernard's be shared more widely. And it's a quite, quite a beautiful thing. And I have to say, I think one things, one of the things that characterizes St. Bernard's as a, as a school of learning, of formation, is that we all acknowledge as faculty that the primary formator and the primary educator is the Holy Spirit, right? That's, that's really, really key. If the faculty are not being formed alongside the students by the formator, capital F, then what are we doing, right? Because this is not, as you say, Dr. Lachlan, it's not just transmitting information like you might do in any other discipline or whatever. This is being formed by the Holy Spirit, who is frankly dwelling deepest within us, right, as temples of the Spirit. And so how is it that we allow ourselves to be reformatted, as it were, by the Holy Spirit, to be formed in that way? And that's something that hopefully the faculty will actually illustrate by their lives, right? So this kneeling theology, the sort of unity of faith and life is something that we really hope and we try to hold our ourselves as the standards for, you know, or, or to the standard as it were. And so we're not going to expect a kind of learning from a student that we ourselves do not engage in. We're not going to expect a kind of formation that we don't pledge to exhibit in our own lives. That just seems to be important, you know, from the perspective of education. There could be so many power dynamics. There can be so many feelings of insecurity. But look, the point of education in a Christian context is we're all being formed together under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, going towards the Father in Jesus Christ, and that's why we're here. And I think it's really important that you show that, that you communicate that first, okay? And not just in words, but in the way in which the curriculum is designed, the sorts of topics that you engage upon. And it has to extend all the way through the entirety of the discipline, even down to the more abstruse levels of philosophy. So, I mean, I encounter this all the time as a philosopher. I have to find ways by which to engage people. And so, for example, when I teach the logic course, you know, right away, people are thinking, oh, this is too much for me. And everybody has to take it because it's, you know, it's a requirement here for uh, those who wish to go on to seminary. And so one of the ways by which I do this is to say to them, look, you know, you're not just learning here the techniques of argumentation. You're not learning here the ways by which you can deep six your opponent in verbal battle with him, okay? First thing you have to understand is that when you argue with someone, you're not arguing with a mind, all right. You're arguing with a person and the person brings with him or her all manner of commitments with regard to uh, the various positions, usually moral or political, and that one knockdown argument is not going to make the day. Okay, you have to address the person in the entirety of their commitments. In point of fact, that if you really do want to change their minds on something, okay, you have to live with them. All right, I mean, not metaphorically speaking, all right, that you have to be willing to dedicate yourself to an engagement with the person at the level of what is most important to them. And so as a consequence, even with regard to something like logic, 
All right. One has to be able to put those sorts of things forward in order for one, especially uh, for people here who wish to go into ministry, to see what is the use. Okay. Anyone can deal with the mechanics, but actually applying this as such is so vital to what mm-hmm. we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. And we might say something similar about ministry preparation or ministry formation. You know, there can be a temptation to think that I'm going to use a ministry preparation program as uh, a sort of toolbox that will give me the appropriate skills that I need or the tools that I need. And to the extent that that's true, uh, that's a wonderful thing. And I hope that St. Bernard's or any other ministry formation program preparation will provide those skills and those tools. But that's to somewhat forget that the tool that we're talking about here is you, (laughs) right? The Holy Spirit is going to use you, not your ability, simply speaking, to counsel someone or your ability to speak with really beautiful rhetoric or whatever it might be, right, or to argue logically. The Holy Spirit will use you primarily. And so that's that's sort of why we talk about this, this formation piece in terms of education is you're not just being given tools through which the Holy Spirit will exercise his work, but you're actually being given formation so that you yourself may be used in whatever way the Lord wishes. And that's really crucial, I think, at this point in the church with so many crises and the reconsideration of, of many things. I mean, in this in pastorally, precisely because we don't know how the Lord is going to use our gifts all the time. You know, we've probably all had those experiences where you receive something in your life, some experience, some formation that actually doesn't come to bear fruit until years later. And so you you can't necessarily say, okay, here's the skills I'm going to learn right now. Here's how they're going to be used. Here's when they're going to end. Done. I'm off to the next thing or whatever. That's just not necessarily the way it works. God doesn't waste grace, but he also is extravagant in giving it. And his plan far transcends what we can understand. And so you might be given something that won't be unpacked for years. And you might never know why something happens for many years later. So it's it's that kind of posture that we all have or, or at least aspire to have at St. Bernard's of we don't know how the Lord is going to be using in our lives the things that we're being given at this moment. And so we just need to cherish that contemplative aspect of life where you're just receiving and dwelling with the Lord, receiving what he wishes to give. I mean, Eucharistic adoration is the great image of this, right, where you're just sort of basking in the glow of the radiance of his grace. And you can't say how you're being changed. You can't necessarily say how those tools are sort of taking root in you. But you do know that the Lord will make you fruitful at some point in some way for the glory of God within his church. And that's just a beautiful thing about formation, I think, is that kind of space of letting go a little bit. Yes, you will be the Holy Spirit's gifted instrument, but we need to sort of allow ourselves to be formed first. Thank you. Well, that just about wraps up our time with Dr. Lachlan and Dr. Cooner. I appreciate you guys coming in and speaking with us today. And I look forward to hosting another Spotlight on the Faith episode coming up soon. Well, this concludes another episode of Spotlight on the Faith. I want to thank both Dr. Lachlan and Dr. Cooner for joining us today. 